0: This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery.
1: While the current pressures on providers is palpable, you want to be thinking about dollars potentially being left on the table in contract negotiations and where you might be vulnerable if you're squarely focused on your fee-for-service contract terms.
0: Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin, and today I have my colleague Keely McMillan joining to talk about the Enhanced Oncology Model, or EOM. It's a new alternative payment model launched by CMS, CMMI, as really a successor program to the Oncology Care Model, or OCM. I'm sure you'll hear both acronyms many times in this episode, which sunset earlier this year. Non-binding applications for the new program are due at the end of September, so I wanted Keeley to have an opportunity to talk about how we're viewing this as an opportunity for health systems to take advantage of, because like its predecessor, EOM has specific incentives for oncology practices to improve quality of care and reduce Medicare fee-for-service expenditures. Keeley, so far, the oncology care model, OCM, hasn't really proven to be successful in reducing Medicare expenditures actually resulted in overall losses for Medicare. So why is Medicare launching EOM? How's this going to be different? What did we learn so far?
1: Thank you, Trevor. First, bigger picture, Medicare has got to find better ways to pay for healthcare services and derive more value out of the dollars being spent. The latest Medicare trustees report that was released earlier this summer projects that the Medicare Hospital Insurance Trust Fund is six years away from insolvency. And then beyond that, faces a significant long-term shortfall. Now that in of itself isn't a new story, but what was notable about this year's trustees' report is that it extended the projected depletion of the Medicare Hospital Insurance Trust Fund by two years for very unusual reasons. Two of the biggest contributing factors that bought some additional years of solvency were one, all of the care that was delayed or not provided at all because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and then two, the spike in deaths. Related to the pandemic, which included a lot of beneficiaries covered by Medicare. And those Medicare beneficiaries who died were on average sicker and projected to be otherwise higher cost to Medicare. If you stop and think about that, here was this seismic event in which all these services were delayed or canceled. And a lot of people who would have otherwise cost money to care for in the future passed away. That in combination with other factors led to this two-year extension of the trust fund. It just starts to give you a sense of the magnitude of change that's going to be required to secure the long-term viability of the trust fund and the critical need to get a bigger bang for our buck. That's why the CMS Innovation Center is testing different financial incentives through these pilot alternative payment models so that we can learn and then make broader payment policy changes where success is proven. And cancer care is an important area where there's opportunity to increase the value of care or the experience of care for the dollars being spent. It's also an area where costs are projected to continue to increase substantially. The Oncology Care Model, or OCM, and the Enhancing Oncology Model, E. OM, are meant to test ways of lowering that trajectory while maintaining or improving quality of care. Now, specific to the original oncology care model, which recently sunset, you're right, evaluations for the first half of that program have shown that overall, net net, OCM hasn't saved Medicare money when you take into account the bonus payments that are paid out on top of the per member per month payments that participants can bill in the program that's why there's some notable changes with this next generation of the model or EOM. The first is that the Innovation Center has really narrowed the types of cancer that are included in the model. As a point of comparison, OCM, the predecessor, had 23 different cancer types included in the model. If you break out low-risk and high-risk breast cancer and prostate cancer into different categories. EOM, the successor model, by comparison has seven cancer types. So 23 cancer types down to seven. Now, the cancer types themselves that are included in EOM are generally the higher volume cancer types. So overall volume in the program won't drop to the same degree, but it is a more targeted set of cancer types and some of the volatility associated with the low volume cancer types won't affect this new model. And this change is important because when you look at the evaluations of the original oncology care model thus far, there were statistically significant reductions in episodic spending, and that was concentrated among the higher volume, higher risk episodes, specifically lung, lymphoma, colorectal, and high-risk breast cancer. So CMS is focusing the successor model on those cancer types that had the most promise in a pilot alternative payment model it's also worth noting that the evaluations of OCM published thus far have been from performance periods in which all OCM participants were in upside-only arrangements, meaning they were not at financial risk of losing money, even if their expenditures came in over a spending benchmark. They didn't have to repay losses. In our experience, generally, if you're in an upside-only arrangement and not at risk financially, the relative priority level for the initiative can start to fall when a provider organization is juggling a lot of different challenges. EOM, by comparison, the successor model, requires all participants to take two-sided financial risk from the start of the program. And there are two different risk tracks that you can choose from, but at a minimum, you're going to be at some downside risk from day one. So those are two of the major changes between OCM and EOM. One aspect that didn't change is the voluntary nature of the program, which is interesting because one critique of why some models to date haven't worked is that they've been optional in nature and that leads to selection bias that can occur with optional programs. But the Innovation Center here is not flipping that switch. This is still a voluntary program.
0: So everyone's taking downside risk. That's scary for many why would a practice consider participating people think about this patient population as a pretty complex patient population as a good place to take on downside risk
1: there's a number of reasons a provider organization should at least consider participating. One, if you're an organization in which value-based care is part of your strategic plan, this model can be a vehicle to help advance your goals. Say, for example, you're an integrated delivery network or a system that has an accountable care organization with some population health management infrastructure in place. Layering in participation in EOM can be a way to better engage specialists and align specialty care with your primary care infrastructure. And that can be done using the financial incentives of EOM, the waivers from fraud and abuse laws, and notably the data that you receive by participating in the program, which is really rich intelligence that you would not otherwise have access to. And that helps identify and prioritize opportunities to improve quality in value. Participants of EOM are expected to receive patient-level utilization data on a monthly basis, including drug utilization data, and that's data across the continuum of care, so not necessarily specific to your own practice. And this data can identify opportunities for better care coordination, drivers of variation in treatment management, opportunities for higher value prescribing, such as biosimilars or generics, and data that can support adoption of clinical pathway standards and best practices. Another reason to consider participating is the opportunity to earn upside revenue if your expenditures come in below a financial benchmark. Now, that, of course, works the other direction. You're at risk for losses if your expenditures come in over a financial benchmark. You do want to do an in-depth analysis of whether this model makes sense for your organization. Just to give a sense of the amount of downside risk that a practice faces, Under risk arrangement one, which is the lower risk track, the maximum amount that practices can lose in a given performance period is 2% of their financial benchmark, which is their budget for all aligned patients in aggregate. As a general point of reference, the downside financial risk for an ACO that's participating in Medicare's shared savings program in the enhanced track is 15% of their financial benchmark. And that's not exactly apples to apples because of differences in the benchmarking methodology. And your EOM population compared to your ACO population will be lower volume and higher acuity, but it gives you a general point of comparison of the financial risk. And it's important to do an an actuarial assessment of your risks and opportunities in this program.
0: In addition to just a complex patient population, the timing right now could be an easy excuse for many. So why with everything going on in the current environment, inflation, supply chain, workforce, volume fluctuations, capacity constraints, why does that make this actually a good time to try a program like EOM?
1: In many respects, the current environment might be all the more reason to prioritize the adoption of value-based care and getting paid in a different way. It's getting harder and harder for providers to negotiate fee-for-service rate increases that are going to be strong enough to turn around their declining operating margins. And that's especially the case with new regulatory and legislative changes, namely the payer price transparency requirements that went into effect recently, as well as the No Surprises Act, which are giving payers another reason to push back. From the payer perspective, most want to shift risk onto providers, and many see the current environment potentially being the source of a paradigm shift to move to value-based care. If you listen to the quarterly earnings calls, you hear payers such as Anthem and Sentine saying the current environment is an opportunity and a reason to accelerate movement towards value-based care. While the current pressures on providers' is palpable, you wanna be thinking about dollars potentially being left on the table in contract negotiations, and where you might be vulnerable if you're squarely focused on your fee-for-service contract terms. Now, specific to the enhancing oncology model and why now, Medicare wants to start these successor model as soon as possible because there's already going to be a gap between the end of OCM, which ended this year, and the start of EOM, which starts July 1 of 2023. And the current open window period may be your one and only chance to get in the program. Medicare has not indicated there will be another opportunity to apply to this model.
0: Great description, great answer. One other thing CMS has signaled they're going to be focused on, and we see it across other value programs, across Medicare Advantage's health equity. Are some of those objectives reflected in EOM too?
1: They are. The advancement of health equity is tied to this enhancing oncology model in a number of different ways. One of the care transformation requirements of the program is to use health-related social needs screening tool to identify social needs. Participants of UM are required to screen for food insecurity, transportation, and housing instability at a minimum. It is also beneficial to screen for financial toxicity, social support, social isolation, interpersonal safety, and then to help address social needs and provide patient navigation participants can bill per member per month payments. Now, those payments do count as expenditures in the model, so those PMPM payments will count against your performance-based payment at the time of reconciliation. There is, however, a small component of that PMPM for dual eligibles which does not count as expenditures. So that does not get clawed back. So there's a little bit of financial support for your duals population. As another requirement of the model, Participants have to use data to address health disparities. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation wants EOM participants to identify where disparities exist within their patient population and then use data to support evidence based strategies to address these disparities. And a tool like the Vizient Vulnerability Index provides great insights to start to do this. The Vizient Vulnerability Index is a quantitative assessment of community social drivers of health that pairs data from the Vizient Clinical Database with publicly available data sources from U.S. government agencies. So U.S. Census, USDA, EPA, Department of Housing and Urban Development, and that's to provide deeper insights into local community need. And that can also be used to develop a health equity plan, which EOM participants are also required to do as part of participating in this program. This is another component in which CMS's strategic goal to advance health equity is reflected in the model. Participants have to develop and submit a health equity plan, which should include strategies for how health equity will be achieved. There are also some risk adjustment variables that generally support the advancement of health equity. These are patient-specific risk adjustment factors that are used to adjust financial targets, including whether a patient is dually eligible, eligible for Medicare and Medicaid, as well as a patient's low-income subsidy status. These were risk variables used in the original oncology care model as well.
0: It sounds like in some ways EOM might be a great narrowing agent for organizations that are just starting to think about and look for places to focus health equity initiatives. That makes a lot of sense. So earlier you mentioned cancer care is an area where there's big opportunities to increase the value of care or experience from per dollar spent. How do participants of this model get held accountable for patient experience?
1: In order to get paid a performance-based payment in the program, you have to hit certain quality performance thresholds. If your performance on quality measures is below a certain level, your bonus would get reduced or even eliminated altogether. Now on the flip side of that, if you were to incur losses, but your quality performance is strong, you would reduce the amount of losses that you have to pay back to Medicare. The quality measures that are included in the enhancing oncology model are largely similar to what was included in the predecessor model. They're focused on patient experience, avoidable acute care utilization, symptom management, management of psychosocial health, and management of end of life care, What's unique, though, about the enhancing oncology model, both with respect to its predecessor, but also with respect to most Medicare alternative payment models in general, is its gradual inclusion of EPROs, electronic patient reported outcomes, which is expected to become a requirement in year three of this model. CMS has talked a lot about how the use of EPROs in oncology care can help improve communication, care management, patient satisfaction, and identification of patients' needs. And then on top of that, the COVID-19 pandemic has further shown the value of collecting additional data from patients outside of an in-person visit. And so in this model, participants will be required to capture patient-reported outcomes on symptoms and or toxicity of treatment, behavioral health, health health-related social needs, and functioning, both physical functioning and role functioning. And those patient-reported outcomes will have to be captured electronically and integrated into the EHR. And this electronic integration has been shown to be an effective way to improve patient-clinician communication and support quality improvements. For example, more timely awareness of a patient's change in clinical status through EPROs can support more timely adjustments to treatment.
0: Kelly, this is a great run-through of a lot of the details in this program and why it might make sense for many practices or members. Folks can reach out to you directly. We'll have your contact information in the description in the show notes. Any closing thoughts, any last comments as people probably have to evaluate pretty quickly here if they want to try to participate or not.
1: SG2 has a team of experts that are dedicated to helping providers evaluate and think about and even apply to these programs. So if we can be of support, please don't hesitate to reach out.
0: Thanks so much for sharing. So much, Keely. Look forward to having you back on SG2 Perspectives again soon.
1: Thank you, Trevor. Thank you for the conversation.
0: Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at SG2 Perspectives at SG2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at VizientInc.com backslash podcasts.